In today's episode of Vantage Voices, Carol Bonnet of Vantage Partners hosts Kip Gary for a conversation on negotiation preparation and multi-party negotiations. Kip shares lessons learned from his 36 years at ExxonMobil while engaging in large-scale, multi-party, and international negotiations. It is my great pleasure to introduce you to Mr. Kip Gary. Kip, it is wonderful to be with you today. Hey, good morning, Carol. Good to be with you again. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful morning out here in the Texas Hill Country. We had some nice rain last night and a cool start for the day. Our guest today is Kip Gary, a retired negotiator for ExxonMobil. Kip has deep expertise in negotiation based on decades of executive level experience as a commercial negotiator in the oil and gas industry. So Kip, as you think about your career in negotiation, how has your understanding of negotiation changed over the years? You know, Carol, I, as I think on that question, I was historically, I would say a bit of a hard bargainer. Uh, you know, I lean pretty heavily on getting commitments uh, or going to other alternatives. And so, you know, what, one of the things I've learned across the years is that having more tools in the negotiator's toolbox really opens up possibilities for better outcomes. You know, and also I'd say having a structured framework to prepare, for me at least, really translates to a more reliable execution at the table. So when you're faced with a seemingly intractable negotiation, what do you do? Well, you know, it depends, uh, it, it depends on what's causing the intractable situation. You know, if it's, is it inherent to the nature of the deal? Uh, is it just a very intransigent person on the other side of the table? Uh, is it perhaps a constraint being imposed by something or someone outside the room? You know, for example, host government or maybe an undisclosed interest. You know, if the problem is the deal itself, then the sooner that's understood by all sides, the better. You know, sometimes there just isn't a deal space sufficient to close. And really, sometimes, you know, a deal that just seems too good to lose may be just too hard to get. Uh, if, on the other hand, the problem is, with the individual, well, that can be a really difficult situation. And in those cases, what I like to do first is to have a look in the mirror. And, you know, by doing that, I can, I can assess, you know, am I getting what I'm giving? Am I part of the problem here? And sometimes we can see in ourselves a need to adjust our style, change our approach, to change the dynamic, whatever the cause, in those kinds of situations, getting to the substance of the deal, it's going to take some work, you know, it's going to be challenging. And, and if you don't really work on the relationship, um, then you're not going to be able to make a lot of progress. And that can take time. So thinking about those examples of intractable negotiations, can you share a time when a party you were negotiating with was using really difficult tactics in the negotiation? And how did you respond? In 2017, I was assisting a colleague with uh, this very thing. He had a counterparty uh, that was being very difficult, and we sensed that he probably didn't have a good, a good understanding of our alternatives. In this case, we had recently acquired land for a world-scale ethane cracker in South Texas. It was adjacent to some land owned by the Port of Corpus Christi. And Rob, the project executive, came to me one day and said that ever since we bought the land, the port had changed from a posture of offering concessions to a uh, posture of making significant demands, uh, both relating to construction costs as well as operating costs. Well, when Rob told me that, he added that he felt like he just had to sign this deal before it got any worse. He was quite concerned about where this was going. I said, well, Rob, what's your alternative? And Rob responded, well, that's the problem. We just don't have one. And so I asked him, I said, well, why do you need the port? And so he thought about it. And he said, well, during construction, we're going to be bringing in very large modules. They're being manufactured in China. We've got to bring them in over the, uh, over the port facilities, and then they'll be moved onto the onto the plant pro property. 
Then after startup, we've got to be able to barge out liquids from the operation of the plant. So I say, well, look, Rob, go back, talk to your project team, talk about those two things, ask them, what would you do if you didn't have use of the port? So we did that. When he came back, he said the team realized that just down the road, about a mile, there was an abandoned Navy port facility that could be used. It couldn't bring in the same size modules, so the manufacturing of the modules in China would have to be adjusted to make them smaller so they could run down the road from this Navy facility, but it would work. Uh, also, uh, for the liquids, there was a nearby pipeline, and we had storage facilities in Baytown that could handle those. These weren't great alternatives, but they were very viable. So armed with that information, I laid out Rob's talking points uh, for his next conversation. And I had previously, previously met with his uh, counterpart at the port, that individual is today, the port uh, chairman. And I had a pretty good understanding of how he operated and really what was important to him. So I was able to tool Rob up, if you will, for, for that engagement. The situation here is, I kind of laid out, is that the individual at the port uh, thought that we just didn't have any alternatives. We had to use the port facility, and he intended to fully leverage that. So Rob, in the next meeting, explained our very strong desire to use the port. He explained how their approach to the negotiation and the terms themselves were on the cusp of driving us to an alternative. And then he, he outlined what the alternatives were. You know, it wasn't a threat. It wasn't a bluff. It was just a factual matter. And at this point, the individual realized he had really overplayed his hand and that losing the deal was going to have severe reputational consequences for both him and for the port. It's on the basis of that uh, little bit of work on thinking through our alternative and laying that out to his counterparty. They were quickly able to get a very fair and very mutually agreeable deal. Moving from sort of individual negotiation to multi-party, in your experience, what are some aspects of a negotiation that are different when you're engaged in a multi-party situation versus a one-on-one negotiation? So sure, you know, I think the most obvious and visible observation is uh, is the extended differences of interest among the parties and the differences in the personalities of the participants. You know, the, the largest single party deal I ever did was in Qatar. It involved 15 companies. And so every meeting had a lot of participants, you know, one or more commercial people, one or more lawyers, tactical people, et cetera. In these cases, everything just gets much harder. You know, first off, it's hard with that bigger crowd to develop high quality relationships with, with, uh, with the people that you're engaged with. Uh, second, just the process issues, you know, scheduling meetings, who controls the pen, how do agreement markups get handled, all of those things become just more gritty, much more difficult. And then third, probably most important, resolving conflicting interest issues that are very often couched in positional arguments just takes a lot of effort. And so in these situations, what I find is that a coping mechanism that many individuals have is just intransigence, uh, very positional arguments, kind of locking and loading, unyielding, and uh, closing, therefore, becomes a major herding catch kind of exercise. So that's kind of, you know, one take on it. You know, adding to that, though, you know, uh, while a large number of counterparties can make a negotiation challenging, even a small number of parties in a multi-party deal can make uh, make it very difficult when the interests are really in opposition. And I think often you find more of that problem in multi-party deals. Example there, I was recently involved in a five-party deal with a Chinese company as one of the parties and a Korean company as one of the parties. 
these two companies were just in complete opposition about what was an acceptable arrangement. And it really felt like we were engaged in kind of a geopolitical battle for the future of, of a large scale oil and gas development. And so in this case, you know, what it really took to get to closure was escalation. Uh, we just had to take it to the top of both of these two companies. Um, and then a bit of hard bargaining on the part of, uh, of ourselves and the other companies with both these companies to uh, drive them into a agreement where they were otherwise fairly disinclined to agree whatsoever. So, Kip, if we move away from negotiations and we talk about the skills of the negotiator, in your opinion, what makes a good negotiator? Well, I think to start with a lot of curiosity, you know, I like to say that the best tool in the negotiator's toolbox is the question mark, and all too often it's the least used. I also really try to maximize transparency. It builds trust, it invites the other side to be transparent, and it unlocks the conversation. So in the years that you have focused on negotiation, what is the biggest mistake that you see reoccur and how can people avoid them? Well, without a doubt, uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier, withholding information is a problem, is a challenge. And then positional arguments uh, where someone's saying, here's how it is. Uh, and, you know, here's where having a structured approach to preparation and engagement really can help. Uh, it's important to note that as you do that, you know, you, you may go through some training, but your counterparty probably hasn't gone through any training. Uh, in my experience, most people just get tossed into the arena of negotiations. I recall when I was a 23-year-old radio engineer, I negotiated my first lease to use a 500-foot radio tower in West Texas. I was totally clueless. And I remember uh, as I was talking with the tower owner, he said, yep, those are the terms. Let me know if you want to use my tower. Well, so when your counterparty doesn't have any training in the field of negotiation and is taking very positional approaches uh, or withholding information, there are just a couple of things you can do in a process way to unlock that conversation. You know, for example, hey, to move us forward, I'd like to unpack my position by walking you down my ladder to show you how I got here. Or, hey, if, uh, if you can help me understand the data and how you interpret it, that will help me better understand your position. If you're having difficulty getting a conversation about other possibilities like, well, uh, you know, something better than take it or leave it if you want to lease my tower. Uh, another process timeout. Hey, what I'd like to do in this session is just spend some time with you talking about what's important to each of us and then thinking about various things that could work. Could we do that in a brainstorming kind of fashion where we throw it out there, we defer judgment for a moment, everyone retains what I would call full snatch rights to take an idea back off the table if it doesn't seem helpful. So those are just, you know, process moments, if you will, that can set the stage then for a conversation when you see that your counterpart maybe doesn't have, uh, uh, you know, some training, if you will, in those kinds of approaches to negotiation. I, I think uh, what I like to say when I have that kind of a question about negotiations is give yourself a little grace. Uh, it's hard work. It's noble work. It's, 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 um, Something that we've talked about takes you know, a lot of practice, a lot of grit and tenacity and patience. And, you know, on any given day, we, uh, we may be that difficult party. We may be that positional arguer. We may be that person that's not skillfully deploying uh, collaborative tools. And, you know, give yourself a little grace. We're probably going to find ourselves in those moments from time to time. And then just keep at it to improve your, uh, improve your technique and your approach. That's all for this episode of Vantage Voices. Vantage Voices is produced by Vantage Partners, a consulting and training firm that empowers companies to innovate more quickly, execute with greater discipline, 
and collaborate more effectively for sustained impact and growth. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.